Father. His wounds have paid our ransom. Your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent for the sole purpose of paying my ransom. I cannot get over that. I will not get over that. I will not stop proclaiming that. God, I just, I'm overwhelmed by how that truth makes me feel. There are no words around how that truly makes me feel. It, it just, it just is. It just overwhelms me, and it's just there, and there's little I can do about it but besides just to praise your name and give you glory. God, I, we've been discipling students all weekend, and, and God, they're here today to hear from you. God, they're here with attentive minds and attentive hearts because you have begun to do a work in them and some of them have responded to you in a powerful way. And God, I pray that today that continues, that their hearts will continue to be open, that their minds and their eyes and their ears will continue to be open so that you might speak to them. God, it is not about what Kenny Nick says. It is about what you say through the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, you speak with the authority that you have to your people and God, may I just listen closely to your voice as you speak through me. God, this is about you as it always is. And God, you receive the glory from anything that should happen in this place. God, you use us as tools in your hands. And God, I'm just asking right now, God, to speak to your people. There may be adults here that came because of a student. And, and today, they need to have truth spoken to them because they've had their eyes closed. They've been blinded by, by the darkness of this world. And God, that they can't see clearly. And I pray that today they'd be able to see clearly. They'd be able to see your light clearly. Father, thank you so much for this precious word that you've given us. May we never, ever take this word for granted. And may you always receive glory from us responding to what your word says to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we have been in a series called Encounter here lately. And uh, our students have been uh, in a series called Awake over this weekend. And we have coined the phrase, Awoke. Y'all all woke today? You woke. You ain't woke. Jay, you ain't woke? Okay. A little D.A. Horton in there for you. Y'all ain't woke yet? Okay, anyway. They know what I'm talking about. All y'all are just like, well, why is he talking like that? He's from Oxford. Anyway. Um, yeah, I'm from the hood way down in Sherwood Forest in Oxford. So <laughs> it's a hard knock life down in the, the forest. Anyway. Oh, uh, <laughs> but they were in a, uh, in a series this weekend called Awake, and uh, does it say it on the back of our shirts or not? No, it doesn't say, it does? It does. Awaken, yeah. So anyway, we've been in a series called Encounter, which is about encounters with Jesus Christ. So today, you get a little bit of Awaken and a little bit of Encounter, and we're going to mix it all together, and we're going to talk about somebody that had an encounter with Jesus, and they were awakened. Uh, this series, Encounter, we've been talking about in the past few weeks. We started out by looking at Luke chapter 5 where Jesus calls his disciples. And, and we talked about when you have an encounter with Jesus, a real encounter with Jesus, you come away marked with something. You don't look the same, that there's a, something different in you once you encounter Jesus. And these guys, initially they were afraid, but Jesus told them, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you fishers of men. So not only were they marked with they're not supposed to be afraid anymore, but they're also marked with the fact that they become fishers of men. They go, and they're to be Jesus' witnesses. They're supposed to go into this world and tell the world about Jesus and what he's done. And we continued that message in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we talked about how we are ambassadors of Christ, and we carry the very words of God with us. 
And then Keith brought a message to you from Matthew chapter 8 about a Roman centurion and how that dude, when he encountered Jesus, he was marked with humility. The fact that he recognized who he was and who Jesus was. And then we continued on in our series. And we went to uh, Luke chapter 8. And we talked about a demon-possessed man who, who, was, who was possessed with over a over hundred demons. And, and his name was Legion. And once he encountered Jesus, I mean, this is a guy who used to roam around the tombs. And he used to, to, to hang out with dead people. And he used to cut himself. And he would scream at night and break his chains and all that stuff. And when he encountered Jesus, he walked away marked with peace. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we walk away marked with peace. If we had a real encounter with Jesus Christ, we have peace. And that's what we talked about last week. We're going to continue in Luke chapter 8. And believe it or not, we are going to skip over almost the the passage that is uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 48. We're going to kind of start there, but that's not what the message is about today. In Luke chapter 8, we meet a dude who his name is Jairus. Jairus is a leader of the synagogue, which means to say that that he's in charge of maintaining the synagogue and making sure everything's in order in their their Jewish worship space, okay? The synagogue is where they go to read the the scrolls and talk about God, and it's like our Sunday worship service. It's like this is where they go, and this is where they meet on a regular basis to talk about God, okay? So he's in charge of that. So he's a Jewish leader in charge of the synagogue. But he's got a problem, see? He's got a daughter who's dying. She's sick and she's dying and she's 12 years old. And the dude's freaking out. He's really upset and he didn't know where else to go. So he goes to Jesus. Did you get that? He didn't know where else to go, so he goes to Jesus. And Jesus, you know what he does? He goes with the man. Wait a second. (laughs) You missed it. He goes to Jesus and says, my daughter's sick and dying. I don't know what to do. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm going with you. Wherever you're going, that's where I'm going. Let's go back to your house. I'm ready. Let's go. No hesitation, no questions. It's like, let's go. Let's Let's do this thing, man. Well, Jesus has a little encounter on the way, and that's where we get Luke 8, 48 from. He has an encounter with a woman. You remember this, where she has an issue of blood. Now, Luke doesn't say this in his account because he's a doctor, so he doesn't like to say that the woman had wasted all her money on a bunch of doctors, so Luke didn't say that. But in other gospel accounts, it says she's wasted her money on a bunch of doctors, and she chases after Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is where she needs to find healing. And she chases after Jesus, and you know the story. She grabs a hem of his garment, and he's like, hey, I just felt something. Somebody touched my clothes. They're like, what? There's a ton of people around you, Jesus. How do you know that somebody has touched you? He's like, everybody's touching you, dude. Why do you, why you say that she, somebody's touched you? And he said, no, 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 this is different. The virtue has gone out of me. I know that there's somebody that needed healing that has touched me, somebody with the right heart, a seeking heart for God that has touched me, and the, the virtue has gone out of me. Yeah, Jesus is still virtuous. He didn't lose his virtue. That's just the way of Jesus saying, I I detected that there was some power drawn out of me because this woman's faith who wanted me and touched me and grabbed the hem of my garment. And it says instantaneously she knew she was healed and the issue of blood was taken away and and she was better instantaneously. And And Jesus has a confrontation with her a little bit. He goes, 
So it was you who touched me. And this is what he says to her. He says, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. You are well because of your faith. Go in peace. And I told you last week that that's what is written on my daughter's tombstone. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. And if you were a Christ follower, you have peace, not because this is your permanent home, because you have a permanent home that is somewhere else, somewhere beyond here. If you were a Christ follower, you have hope in the fact that there is an eternity with God, following Jesus Christ and being close to God, being in his very presence for all of eternity. And that's the reason we have hope and that's the reason we have peace. But the little girl, she's still dying back home. And that's where we pick up today. I have to preach a funeral at 1.30 today. Um, it's not my favorite thing to do, to be very honest with you. I do like to celebrate people's life. And that's how I do a funeral. I'm not a big fan of celebrating their death. You get me? There's a big difference, right? Amen. There's a big difference between celebrating somebody's life and celebrating somebody's death. I want it to be a celebration of life. And what bothers me, y'all, is that I feel like there are a lot of churches in the world today where it doesn't feel like they're celebrating Jesus' life, but celebrating the Jesus' death. Okay, there's a difference. All right, let me follow me just a little bit. Now, I recognize fully that Jesus Christ died, and he died for me, and I got that, okay? And he sacrificed every, all this blood for me, and it was for the purpose of making me clean. And I love that. But sometimes I think people, the, 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 the overflow of, of who they are as a person stretches over into their church environment, and it's more like a funeral service than a celebration of the fact that Jesus is alive. And it drives me crazy. And people will say, well, you, your music's too loud. And I'm like, well, that's okay. There's plenty of other funeral services around. Go to one of those. Amen. Amen. I, I, I like it here where it feels like it's alive and it's not dead. Yeah. Amen. I don't know anybody that likes to go to a funeral service. Do you? Then why are there so many churches that they're like, oh, but this is reverential. And I'm like, look, I have reverence for God, but let me tell you something. I come into church and I want to celebrate his life and the fact that he is alive and he's alive in me. And, and, and yes, I recognize that he died and that is a great thing, but it is also an even better thing because he is alive now. So it should be a celebration. And when we come in here and we sing praises, it should be a celebration. It should be a celebration of life. And if you don't like the lights and you don't like how loud the music is, I'm sorry about that. Please go somewhere else. I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me. I'm just saying this is who we are. Because here's the thing. I would rather us be excited about the fact that Jesus is alive and he's alive in me. That way when I go out into the world, I don't look dead. I look alive. Amen. And we've been talking about this weekend. We've been talking about being awoke, right? Awakened. We, we've been talking about how, man, we, we got to, as Christians, we got to be awake. We can't be dead. We can't be asleep, as the Bible calls it sometimes we got to be awake. And I know that I shout a lot. And I know that it pierces your ear and you just want to cringe and you want to weep because it's so loud. I get that, okay? But I can't help it. I can't help it, y'all. 
Because when I come in here and, and God starts moving in my heart and starts awakening me to the fact that he is alive and he is well and he dwells within my heart, that, man, I want that to overflow, that on Monday when I go to work, people see that in me. If I, if I go to a funeral service on Sunday, then they don't really see much on Monday. You know what I mean? So that's the reason I want us to be a part of a celebration of life here at Simple Church on Sundays. Okay? Now, sometimes God's going to do surgery on your heart, and he's going to break you wide open. That's, that's for your good and his glory, okay? But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, on the flip side of that surgery, man, you are more alive than you ever have been. That surgery is for the purpose of making you alive. So here, let's, let's, let's look at what the scripture says. In Luke chapter 8. We find something going on here. So I'm going to start in 848, which is where he says, Daughter, he said to her, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived at the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. So he go, there's a guy that comes up to Hey, look, you can tell Jesus to go back home because there's no point in Jesus coming anymore. She's already dead. There's nothing he can do. But when Jesus but when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. You know what Jesus is saying? It ain't over. It ain't over. Hey, students, it ain't over. If you feel like you've done too much, you've gone too far, there's no way out of this pit, there's no way that you're going to be able to escape the darkness... You're wrong. Jesus says it ain't over. This little girl is dead. Everybody knows she's dead. They're about to have a funeral. It ain't over. You know why? Because Jesus didn't say it was over. He said, Jairus, you just have faith. He said, I don't, I don't really care what the world says. I'm telling you what I'm saying. So the world will tell you it's over. The world will tell you it's done. You've gone too far. You've done too much. There's no hope for you. And Jesus said, it ain't over. It may look like it's over. It ain't over. Some of you are coming on the backside of D now, and you're like, okay, D now is over with. Let me tell you something about D now. It ain't over. It ain't over. As a matter of fact, it's just begun. See, when it begins, it's when you go to school tomorrow morning. That's when D now really kicks in. That's when the difference between was this real in my life or something that I experienced. Because when it's real in your life, you come away changed. You come away different. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you're more awake than you ever were before because God has awakened your soul to something that you've been missing or you've forgotten. And Jesus says to this family, he says, Jairus, don't sweat it. You trust in me and you trust in my words alone. So Jesus, you know what he did? Jesus didn't say, okay, well, they're right. Let's, let's go back, guys. I, I've had enough. This, you know, it's over with. He says, no. He said, I, I believe that this happened, okay? I don't know. I got no biblical evidence. But I think that Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house, and they were talking. And Jesus, you know what he did when he heard them talking about the fact that, that the little girl had died? You know what he He probably didn't even let up. He probably just kept walking. I don't even think he checked up. I think he just kept walking. He's like, hey, it's okay. Follow me. We're still going to your house. I don't think that Jesus ever slowed down. I think that Jesus said, 
hey, Jairus, don't worry about it. You have faith in me. I got this. It ain't over. Let's keep going. Because it says in the next verse, it says, when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anybody go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. Now, I, I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail. I don't want to convolute the message by saying, why did he only take Peter, John, James, and the, the mother and the father in? We won't talk about all that necessarily today, but I will say this. He was taking, he was taking a tight-knit group with him. He was, he's taking a small group with him, so what he was doing. You know your small groups you had this weekend? Jesus was taking his small group with him. He said, come on, boys, we got some work to do. Grab that mom and dad and let's go. Let's go, because there's still something that's got to happen. And he walks in, and you know what he finds? A funeral going on. Jesus finds a funeral going on. And I don't think that Jesus is very happy about a funeral going on. I think that Jesus is like, no, this ain't the way it's going to go down. It's going to be different than this. Y'all think she's all dead, but I'm telling you she's asleep. Now, they've already started the funeral. They got the, the casket there. They got the little girl laying there. And it's not a pretty sight, okay, admittedly. Funerals are not pretty sights. And, and the, Jesus walks in, and, and everybody's crying. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, what they had was they would hire people to come in. They, they would be like professional weepers, okay? Like they would come in. They would pay people to come in and cry for the dead. The reason they did that is kind of weird. I know, like, we're like, what? Why would you do that? Like, are you going to pay somebody to cry over a dead body? I don't get that. The reason they did that is because the evidence of somebody's life and how important they were was shown by how devastated everybody was by the fact that they were dead now, that they were going to be missed, that their life meant something. Let me tell you something. We can weep and we can cry all we want to all day long. But the only way our lives are going to mean something is if Jesus Christ is a part of our lives. Is if Jesus Christ at the very center of every single thing that we do. And people go, now that is a Christ follower and his testimony is going to live on. His testimony is not dead and living in that casket. His testimony is going forward. Just like his soul is going forward into eternity. Apart from Jesus Christ, man, how does anything live on? We want our lives to count, don't we? We don't, we don't want us to die one day and go, man, that didn't, didn't really mean anything. You want your life to count? You want your life to mean something? If you have your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and you're out there living and pursuing Christ, your life will mean something. The disciples, look at them. They're dead and 2,000 years later we're still talking about them and what they did and what they said. If you want your legacy to live on, you follow Jesus. And here, let me tell you something. These people, they thought it was over with, and that's the reason they were crying. That's the reason they brought in these professional wailers, because they thought it was over with. Students, listen to me. I know you don't think about it. Us adults think about it way more than you do. You could die tomorrow. You know that, right? Tomorrow could be the day you take your very last breath. Now, 17-year-olds don't like to think about that. As a matter of fact, they don't think about it. 
But I'm telling you right now, your life can mean something. You can leave a testimony. You can leave a legacy if Jesus Christ is the very heart and soul of who you are. That it will have an influence on somebody and people will see that in you and it will continue to live on after you. Just like these disciples of Jesus Christ. But here, Jesus rolls in there and they all think that it's over with and, and Jesus says, no, no, it's not done yet. It's not over with yet. He says, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. I think, I think that sometimes, sometimes I, I kind of forget, right? I kind of forget the fact that I have the Jesus of this Bible living in within me and and I'm kind of asleep too. We've been talking about being awakened all week. When you have an, an encounter with Jesus Christ, man, you are awakened. You go from being asleep to being awake. And for some of us, it's, it's from, from death to life when we have our first ever encounter with Jesus Christ and we surrender everything to him. He brings us from being asleep in death to being awake and alive in Christ. But you know what happened? As with things, as things go these days, um, there's got to be some naysayers around. It says, but the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. When you are brought from death to life, when you have a new life, there are some people that are going to laugh at you. There are some people that are going to say, that's never going to take. There are some people that say, you know what? It's finished. They were already done. They no words they say or no actions they take now are going to make any difference because they're already too far gone. And they're going to laugh when you say, no, 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 I'm alive, I'm not dead. You see, I was dead because I didn't have Christ, but now I have Christ and I'm alive now. And they're going to laugh at you. And they're going to think that's as ridiculous as you coming back from the dead. They're going to say, there's no way. Look at them. Look at, look at what they've been in the past. And the whole time Jesus is saying, they're not dead. They really are alive. Look and see. I'm going to show you that they're alive. The crowd's laughing. It says, but then Jesus took her by the hand. And in a loud voice, my child, get up. My child, get up. There's sometimes I need to hear that, y'all. There's sometimes I'm laying there in bed, and I don't want to get up in the morning. I'm feeling like the whole world's against me. I'm feeling like my boss is against me. My boss's boss is against me. I feel like my employees are against me. I feel like everybody's against me. You know, I mean, sometimes it's your family. Sometimes it's your best friend. You feel like the whole world's against you. And you feel like, God, I don't even feel like getting up and going to work today or getting up and doing life today. I just, I just want to be a teenager and lay in the bed, right? Like, I mean, a teenager during summertime. That's what I want to be today. And I believe Jesus, I need, I need him to speak that truth into me sometimes. That, man, there's work to be done. Get up. My child, get up. Talithi akumi is what it says in the original text. Get up, awaken, come to life. That's the challenge for you this weekend, students. Get up. That's the challenge. Get up. Stop laying around. Stop doing nothing. Stop acting like you're dead. What does a dead person look like? They don't move. They don't do anything. 
You can't do anything with a dead person unless you get him up like weekend at Bernie's and you start walking him around. You know, that's the only way a dead person is going to do something. Now, the adults all got that, but y'all didn't get that. That's all right. Is that one okay for them to Netflix? Can they Netflix? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so YouTube? No, it's not. Okay, all right. Don't Netflix that one. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, anyway. I just saw the previews for that movie. I, don't, I never watched it. I'll be right back. <laughs> uh, y'all bring something out in me. It's y'all's fault. Anyway, <laughs> so a dead person, they don't move on their own. They, they're waiting for somebody else to move them around, right? They can't do anything. But a live person. Imagine the difference, this little girl laying in the coffin and this girl after Jesus touched her. After Jesus put his hands on her, now things are different. Now she's, she's getting up and she's hungry. You know what I mean? Like she's ready to eat. It's time to do something. I need some energy because there's work to be done. And here, so many of us at work and at school and around our friends, we look dead. We don't look alive like Jesus has touched us. We look dead instead. I want us to be people that look like Jesus has touched us and brought us from death to life. And then we don't come to, to funeral services on Sunday. We come to celebrations of life and we, we come together and we say, Jesus is alive and he's alive inside of me. And because he is, I am alive. And you will see that Jesus is alive in me and I will not act dead. I'm sick and tired of acting dead when I'm really alive. I'm sick and tired of, of, of people looking at me and saying, well, there's no life in him. There's, there's nothing going on in his life or her life. That's, that's, that's what so many people are doing, and they call themselves Christians. I'm like, Jesus touched you. He rescued you. He, he brought you out of that, that place that you were in. He looked at you in your worst condition, your worst sin. He said, yes, I'll take them. Let me touch them and bring them to life. They are dead in their sins and trespasses, and what they need is they need me to touch them. So he does. So he does. You know, if I was that little girl, man, I'd have been like, hey, I'll be right back. I'm going to go run a marathon. I'll be right back. Because you know what? I was dead, and now I'm not anymore. That's a big deal. And people, I think they would know that about me. I don't think I'd stop talking about it. You know what I mean? Like, you imagine, you're dead. And now you're not anymore. You think somebody, they're talking to you about cereal. You like Lucky Charms? Yeah, I, I like Lucky Charms. You know, that reminds me of one time. See, I was dead. And then Jesus touched me. And then I wasn't anymore. And I really wanted Lucky Charms. Like, I wouldn't stop talking about it. And if Jesus has really brought you from death to life, why have you stopped talking about that? Why, why have we, we stopped talking about it? Because when, when you stop talking about it, it's more like you're dead than alive. And, and I think that if God has raised you from that and you've got, you become a new creation in Christ, that you want to talk about it. So let's talk about it. Let's not act like we're like everybody else. That Man, we were dead people and then we're alive. And because of that, we're different. We're not the same. And here, Jesus says, funeral procession, procession's over with. He says, get up. 
At that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. Now, I don't want to glance over this one because this is kind of important too. So, Jesus looks at, looks at his boys, looks at his small group, and looks at the mom and dad and says, don't tell anybody, okay? Now, some people, I mean, you can read all kinds of scholarly, you know, dissertations on, and commentaries on why Jesus said this. I got an opinion. Can I give you my opinion? When Jesus, Jesus is God, so he knows everything, and he knows human nature, and he knows how people are going to do things. So if I go up to you and I say, hey, bro, I got a secret, don't tell nobody. More than likely, you're going to tell somebody, right? <laughs> I know that because we're all human, and that's what I would do. I'd want to tell somebody. Now, being a pastor, let me give it a little disclaimer here. I don't do that. If you tell me you're junk, I don't tell anybody else, okay? But human nature is you want to, right? You want to tell somebody when you have a secret that nobody else has. You just kind of want to tell somebody. But you don't tell everybody necessarily. You only tell a few people, right? You tell the people that are most important to you, the people that are closest to you, your best friend, your family, the people that will trust you with the words that you say. And I believe that Jesus Christ knew the way the, the information would get out, and he wanted it to go out in a certain way. He didn't want it to just go out to everybody. He wanted people that told it to be telling it to people that would believe the person that was telling them. I believe that he, he knew that the information would get out. He just wanted to control how it went out. So he'd be like, hey, don't tell anybody what just happened. I would, the mom and dad are going, but she was dead, and now she's alive, and you don't want me to tell anybody? Jesus, that's kind of a big deal. You sure I can't tell somebody? Because you think, you think the parents would want to tell somebody, hey, my little girl was dead, and, and Jesus touched her, and now she's not anymore, and that was a cool day. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think they would have told somebody, but I think Jesus was controlling the way the information went out, and he said, don't tell anybody, knowing full well that they probably would, but they would only tell the people closest to them, the people that would trust the words that were coming out of their mouth. I think he was controlling the flow of information. Now for you students, I got something I want to tell you. The hardest people in this world to witness and share the gospel with are the people closest to you. Okay? I'm telling you that because it's hard for me. I know it's got to be hard for you, okay? The people that are your best friends, your closest family members, the people that you love so dearly, it's, it's difficult to share the gospel with them, okay? But I believe, I believe that Jesus would like to control the flow of information that you start there with the people that are closest to you, the people that trust you and believe what you say and, and, and to have faith in the things that you say. This is not a person that's lying to me. This is a person I know and I love and I care about, and they're telling me the truth. And I think that Jesus doesn't want us to neglect those people. I think they're supposed to be the primary focus of our gospel presentation is the people that are closest to us, the people that trust what we have to say. Why are we neglecting those people, but yet we'll go to the other end of the world to see people we, don't, we never met before, they don't even speak our language, and we're, we can easily share the gospel with them. I'm saying I believe Jesus wants the opposite to be true. I think that he wants us to focus on those people that care about us and love us and trust us, and we talk to them first. I'm not saying we're supposed to neglect the people on the other side of the world, but I believe that God has put you in a particular place and time and in a set of surroundings and people that are around you that you are to share the gospel with. The question now is, are you dead or are you alive? 
As a result of this weekend, has God awakened something in you that was asleep? Maybe some of you are not even Christ followers. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe today you say, you know what? God has brought me from death to life. I want, I want to read you a poem by Dylan Thomas, written a long time ago. And I want to see if this kind of speaks to you the way it spoke to me. It's about dying. This poem's about dying. But what it says is we ain't supposed to go down easy. We're supposed to fight. And my question to you today is, are you fighting? Are you fighting for the light? Are you fighting to stay alive? Are you complacent with death? Are you complacent with looking asleep? Listen to what he says. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right because their words are forked, no lightning they. Do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright. Their frail deeds might have, might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang in the sun of fly, in flight and, hurt and learned too late. They grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see the blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father... There, on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. What he's saying here is he's talking to his dad who's passing away. He's saying, don't go gentle. Don't go gentle into the night. Don't sit there and be complacent. Rage, fight for your life. Fight for it. Wage war so that you can show everybody that you are alive and you defeated death. There are too many of us, too many of us in this world that look dead instead of alive. If Jesus Christ is really the life that is in you, why does the world not know that? What does your life look like? Does it look like everybody else's? Does it look like it's dead or does it look like it's alive in Christ? Adults, what about you? When you go into work tomorrow, what will people see in you? Will they see life? Will they see the light of Jesus Christ shining within you and somebody that has surrendered everything to Jesus Christ and because of that, man, we have eternal life and a reason to rejoice and a reason to celebrate our life because Jesus Christ has rescued us for all of eternity and it doesn't matter what happens to us at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if we die tomorrow. What happens is we go on to live in eternity with him. Why are we not celebrating that? Why are we not telling other people that, man, you don't have to be dead anymore. You can be alive. Are people seeing that in us? Or do we look like the dead people? Do we look more dead than alive? The people that are in their sin and haven't surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. Since the wages of sin is death, so they're living in death. They're living very in they're living in their coffin right as we speak. And Jesus says, but I want to touch them. And how does he do that? 
He's not walking around daily right now grabbing people by the hand and pulling them out of coffins like he did in that day. But here's what he does. He uses those that have been touched by the light, those that have been raised from death to life to go and be instruments in his hand to go and tell them about the fact that they have been brought from death to life. And Jesus reaches down through us and touches their life and says, I am using one of my new creations to bring life into somebody. He uses us in that capacity and uses our testimony and the fact that we used to be this way and now we're this way. He uses that to bring people from death to life. Is he using you? Are you talking to those people that are closest to you? Or are you too afraid? If you're too afraid, then you look more dead than alive. What, what's, your, what's your testimony look like? What, what, what's your life look like? More like a funeral or a celebration of life? What does it look like? Let me pray. Father, God, I pray that as people of God, we would rage. We would rage against death. We would rage against looking like we were dead. There's too many people in this world, God, that call themselves Christians, but people would never know it. They would never know it. These students have had their eyes open this weekend to what it means to be awake. And I know that several of them, God, they've had their souls awakened to the reality of who you are and who you are in them. But Lord, I know this. That it begins tomorrow. God, I pray that this celebration we've had of the fact that you were alive and you were alive in us. God, it does not end here in this worship service. God, but it continues on to Monday morning. We are in the presence of people that are in death, that they're living in their very coffins. God, that they're, they're, their fate is sealed because they don't have Jesus Christ and they haven't been brought from death to life. Lord, I pray, God, that we'd be instruments in your hand and people would see the life that is within us and they would rejoice and they would say, I need that. I want that. God, I know, I know that we'll encounter people tomorrow, Lord, that have... Uh, just been overwhelmed by the stresses of this world. They're, they've been impacted, God, by something heavy, and, and they're going to look. They're going to look for the light. They're going to look for you. God, I pray that people would look to us because they see us, and they see the fact that we have the light within us. Lord, I pray that our lives would look like a celebration of life, the life that we have in you, and not look like a funeral. God, thank you for allowing us to praise you. Thank you for allowing us to worship you. God, this time belongs to you as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.